0: Would you look at that R. Lee Ermey in the Everything Allegedly studio today, Uh, posthumously uh, no less. And uh, it's a good thing we have him here today because we've got the situation popping off right now in uh, Gaza or uh, uh, Palestine. It's, uh, it's a country. I mean, it's kind of a, a country. She's a country, you know. But anyway, we got to know what to do with her. So, uh, uh, Mr. Ermi, what should we do with Palestine? Kill her. Kill her? No, we can't do that. There's a, there's a lot of people that live there. And uh, this is a land dispute that goes back a, a long time. And, you know, all of the Abrahamic religions really have a, a right to this sacred place. And so I think it's a little more complicated than that, a little bit more nuanced that it? Is that everything? I mean, yeah, in a nutshell. I mean, we don't have all day. Hmm. Killer. Oh, geez. Well, I just thought maybe you'd have, I don't know, something different to say on this situation. What is it that I always said? Kill everything. Exactly. You have the dream. All you have to do is turn it into reality. If you insist. Now go home and snuff that bitch. <laughs> Posthumously? Posthumously? I don't know how to say that word. <laughs> I think I got it, though. Anyway, welcome to Everything Allegedly. My name is Sean. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. That intro was kind of dark, wasn't it? <laughs> but when the shoe fits, you know? Anyway, do you, did you understand it? Did I Did I make it work? That one was a little bit of a stretch, but uh, I don't think I'm going to win any awards for it, so... It's all good. Are there awards for podcasts? I don't even know. I'm sure somebody's giving away awards for them. But I don't know what they are. I want to it be called a, a potty. <laughs> a potty. Yes. And the potty award for most unhinged rant goes to everything allegedly. Thank you. <laughs> Having too much fun today for... Uh, for this topic, because you know what? We're, uh, we're on it again. We got, we got to talk about the situation in Israel and Palestine again. I know, I know. Tr- don't worry that we're going to get back to the fun stuff uh, next time. Uh, we'll get back to how we're being lied to and poisoned and deceived and all that good stuff next time. But uh, not today. <laughs> We've got more to talk about on the, uh, on the topic at hand So that's what we're going to do today. And the last episode was very well received, by the way. So uh, thank you so much for, you know, liking and sharing and subscribing and all the good stuff you guys do to uh, keep the show going. And by the way, for you guys, for you dear listeners, I've got something for you. I am, uh, well, I should say I just finished, just finished the design for the first episode. Everything allegedly T-shirt, <laughs> and uh, so that's it. We're gonna uh, we're gonna have merch, and um, I've got the shirts designed. I'm gonna get them made, and for those of you listening, I'm gonna give you some for free. Well, I'll give you one for free. <laughs> what uh, what you gotta do to get one? How I will bribe you is that if you send me a screenshot of a uh of a rating and a review on a podcast platform preferably something like apple podcasts uh, that's uh <laughs> that's the one that that's the one that doesn't like us <laughs> so we can use the help there um anyway send me that uh screenshot of a rating and a review and you know what make it a good one because <laughs> i'm giving you something and um And uh, so I guess I get to dictate the term. So anyway, do that. Send it to me. I will uh, leave the um, information about this in the show notes. Just send me an email with uh, those details and your shirt size and where you want it shipped. And I'm going to have to cap it. I'll cap it at the first 25 right now. So, um, and then anyway, there are people who listen from all over the world. And I'm not intimately familiar with like every single country and their shipping costs and requirements, so within reason, I will do the very best that I can to get it out to you uh, to the first twenty-five people that email me. And uh, so, anyway, that's just a uh, a thank you to uh, those of you th- who are longtime listeners. Now, the shirt design I think is really cool, and it's based on the rancid album cover and Out Come the Wolves. If you're familiar with that album cover um rancid actually took that design and it's like an homage to minor threat and uh so anyway you know this is this is my homage to punk rock because i feel like the information war that we're in right now this is kind of like the new punk rock right so um so anyway there you go uh sight unseen but uh, get yourself a shirt send me an email again the last episode was very well received Y'all seem to uh, enjoy it. I got some very positive feedback for the most part. But, you know, I was listening to Mike Adams last week. Mike Adams is a uh, very well-established. He's one of the the greatest of all time in the alternative media space. He was banned long before Alex Jones. He's got his own platform called Brighteon, and uh, he does a daily show that you can listen to, uh, Health Ranger Report. Good stuff there. But anyway, I was listening to him, And he said, you know, I don't normally have to block people, but I had to make an exception. With this new conflict that's going on, if you're advocating for killing kids, I'm going to have to block you. And I thought, that's crazy. (laughs) Nobody's out there just saying that, right? Well, it happened to me. (laughs) It really did. And I had a back and forth with a guy on Mines who was literally uh, advocating for just that. He was saying, we should just level the entire place level all of Gaza because there are kids there and they'll just grow up to be terrorists anyway oh my god <laughs> that's, that's just awful so uh, he ended up blocking me first but uh anyway I am also instituting that very policy sad as it may be that I have to do that but but yeah I'm just not going to stand for that kind of stuff because uh, we are at a crossroads here, we have to take a stand. We really do. This situation right now is the moral bellwether of our time. Do you know what a bellwether is? <laughs> for the longest time, I thought it was uh, had something to do with actual weather. I figured it was a device for like reading or predicting weather. So that's kind of what a, the term bellwether sounds like. But uh, but anyway, it's not that at all. The uh, the bell is actually a bell. And uh, weather is a sheep, a male sheep. And uh, so a bellwether is that sheep that wears the bell that leads the flock around. So um, as you can imagine, the bellwether is like a uh, a trendsetter, I guess, and uh, leads the sheep. <laughs> so that's what a bellwether is. So yes, we are. this is a moral bellwether that we find ourselves in right now. And you know what? Speaking of uh, sheep, there are a lot of of, uh, alter- I'll call them, uh, oh, not even alternative media. There are just a lot of media personnel that are leading their flocks astray right now. A lot of them. And, um, you know, I mentioned some of their names last week. I won't go further into the the list of who's doing a terrible job and and promoting violence, but, but who are you listening to on this topic? It's important. Where are you getting your information for uh, what's going on with this current conflict? Are are they are they consistent in their views? That's something you really have to examine. Also, uh, you know we we heard for uh, years now that uh, you know these the black and brown lives matter and that uh, white people are the oppressors and everything and, and now we find ourselves in the situation where everyone's like yeah <laughs> let's let's uh, let's give tons of money and support to the rich and for all intents and purposes, white people. And uh, let's just, you know, assist them in decimating a population of poor brown people. That doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> that's, that's terrible. So whether you're on, uh, you know, that side of it, or you're on the the right wing side of it, when, you know, there are so many of these right wing, uh, you know, media personalities who take a an absolutist stand on um, on abortion, and uh, there's a ton of of right wing alternative media voices who have really made their bona fides on on this topic alone. And uh, there's never any nuance to it; very inflammatory the way they they talk about it. There's never any talk of you know kind of the impact on um, you know the the mothers who might be affected by. And uh, absolute ban on on abortion, or uh, you know what effect that might have on unwanted children. Let me just say I don't support abortion, but it's a complicated and nuanced issue. If we were to make that change right away, there would be a lot of problems, and um, those may be short or medium term. But uh, it's important to look at uh, at things with a with a nuanced view. But those same people, a lot of those very same. Uh, like right-wing and very right-wing uh, media personalities are now just, you know, advocating for the, you know, wholesale wipeout of, uh, of Gaza and all the children that live there. Now, if, if you're going to take a, uh, you know, a, a, a stand on something like protecting the lives of children, I mean, y- you got to be consistent in that view. It's a pretty easy view to hold and uh, so it seems like you should be able to carry it forward into this current situation. So just, uh, you know, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind as you, uh, as you get information uh, about what's going on in the world today and, and whether the people you're listening to are at least trying to keep consistent views. I'm sure I get mine wrong every once in a while, but at least I, you know, I definitely try to keep uh, uh, consistent on my, on my moral viewpoints. Anyway, th- thank God, that we. speaking of right-wing, thank God we don't have Trump in the White House. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> uh, to his credit, Trump didn't start any wars when he was uh, in the presidency, but sure as shit, if Trump was in the White House right now, we would be all in on this war. Remember what they were telling us about And Remember they kept telling us, oh, he's like the most Jewish president of all time, which is fine, I don't really care uh, about that. Speaking of other things I didn't care about, remember when they told us, that um, that Trump moved the embassy from Jelu- Jerusalem to, or, or, or to Jerusalem from like Tel Aviv or something. Man, they ran that story for a long time. Like it was very important. And I, I don't know why it was. <laughs> I didn't know why it was then. I don't care now. <laughs> it's like if they, if they came out with a big news story and said, isn't it great that uh, the um, embassy was moved from Madrid to Barcelona? It's like, Okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> anyway, Trump would be all in on this war. I think that is for sure that uh Trump would be uh you know knee deep in this uh conflict despite his uh his views to the contrary while he was president. And, and so that is really a blessing right now. There's not many blessings with the current you know government structure, but I would say that the fact that the left is so deeply divided on this particular conflict is the one reason why we just haven't gone whole hog. And um, we're going to discuss some of these, um, uh, you know, right wing neocon policies here in the future. But right now, the thing that's keeping us out of a bloody war—well, you know, us involved in a bloody war—is the fact that the left is just so divided on, on the topic. You know, you have like your, your, your DC lefties and uh, your DC uh, Democrat party. And and they're all in for war all the time. And then you have like your, your far left wing, like your I don't know, New York city communist types and whatnot. And um, they are not supporting this war at all. In fact, there's been a lot of, you know, pro uh, Palestine rallies and stuff. And, um, one of these interesting pages that I've been following uh, on, on Instagram is called Jewish Voice for Peace. And their description says uh, Jews organizing toward Palestinian liberation and Judaism beyond Zionism. And it's not a small movement. There's almost a million followers on that page. And you may have seen some of the demonstrations that they, they've either put on or they have uh, participated in recently. They actually, uh, like, shut down Grand Central Station by doing a kind of sit-in, and they had big banners and stuff. They were marching on the bridges, and um, they've even done these, uh, like, you know, protest sits where they sit on a road so the cars can't pass, which generally I'm not in favor of. (laughs) Generally, those things irritate the hell out of me. But you know what? If If you're doing it to prevent... Uh, innocent people from uh, being killed by bombs. You know, I will I'll, uh, I guess I'll tolerate that one. And, uh, you know, I, I don't have much, I guess, in common with uh, these people who, who run uh, uh, that page. They seem to be like, you know, ultra lefty New York City uh, types. But, um, you know, taking an anti-war view, I guess, makes for strange bedfellows. Because uh, I actually even sent around a petition from moveon.org. And the and I get the emails from moveon.org because I think they are like the litmus test for crazy lefty ideas. But they actually had a petition to get before some of our Congress members this petition to, um, you know, to have a ceasefire. And I'm like, well, you know what? When you're right, you're right. So I'm not— Almost ever agreeing with MoveOn.org, but in that scenario, I I guess I just have to. I mean, who doesn't want a ceasefire? You know, there are innocent people being killed, and, and this this i this idea of these uh, the sit-ins and the you know protests and stuff. It had me thinking about the hippies of Vietnam, and you know, I had this idea that the hippies failed because they were, you know, lazy, dirty potheads or whatever. And they're just a bunch of, uh, you know, like drug addled homeless people. And and that's why they weren't able to create a cohesive and effective movement. But there were a lot of people in that time who weren't necessarily like the front facing media, dirty hippie, um, you know, people you saw dancing around at, uh, at, uh, (laughs) what's the name of that concert? Uh, oh, everyone is, like, yelling at the, at the radio right now, I'm sure. <laughs> Woodstock. <laughs> Woodstock. That's the name of it. <laughs> That's the one. But anyway, I, I don't think that, um, you know, that was the entire movement. I'm sure there was a bunch of people who were just, you know, at home with their families or working regular jobs or whatever who, uh, who shared similar views. But what I'm learning is that the powers that be, they just do what they want. <laughs> they don't really care what our opinion on the matter is. And that's uh, it's a little bit disheartening. And so I think in order for movements to be effective, they have to gain a critical mass. So, you know, if you're talking to people about this issue, share it with them. Share that uh, hopefully you are anti-war and uh, you don't want, you know, innocent people dying in conflicts, no matter you know what the uh, propagandists tell us on TV. And so, you know, whether it's, whether it's the hippies or whether it's a, uh, you know, Jewish voice for peace, I, uh, I've got to uh, stand on the side of uh, no war of anti-war and I will put anti-war up there with uh, guns and vaccines two other hills that I would die on. And so I think I have beat to death the moral case against this current war. But let's talk a little bit about the logical case against this war and what's happening right now and why we shouldn't support it. My wife asked me a couple weeks ago, how often do I think about the Roman Empire? And you may have seen these memes. Uh, You may have seen uh, other wives asking their husbands uh, how often they think about the Roman Empire Because it's making its rounds right now. And apparently I had the perfect answer because I was like, well, why do you ask? But, you know, for the record, I think about it pretty frequently, (laughs) maybe a couple of times per week. And um, and she thought that was uh, that was pretty funny. But uh, there's a reason why. There's a reason why the, the Roman Empire pops into my brain, and apparently a lot of, people's other, uh, a lot of other people's brains so often, is because it's, uh, it's an appropriate thing to think about right now. Do you feel like things just generally right now aren't okay? Or, or even that they uh, may be trending worse? That things just generally are getting worse, right? Well, Rome was this massive juggernaut of an empire. If you think about, uh, if you can picture the Mediterranean Sea in your, in your mind's eye right now, essentially every modern country that touches the Mediterranean Sea was the Roman Empire at one time. It was a giant superpower, massive, massive economy. And, um, and what why didn't it just keep growing? Why aren't we all Romans right now? Why didn't it take over the world? And um, and what happened to it? Well, there are existential questions there that uh, that are worth thinking about, and um, we we can look to that past to get a glimpse into our future, especially those of us who are Americans, because you know there have been several giant, powerful empires. Uh, that have existed throughout the eons, but if you're an American these days, we have a lot of similarities to uh, what the Roman Empire was doing at that time. So, what are the uh, the parallels? And um, well, first of all, I say Roman Empire, but Roman the the Rome actually started out as a republic. So, <laughs> does that sound familiar? Uh, about 50 BC. Or so uh, Rome was generally going to shit, and that's when Julius Caesar took over, and that was kind of the end of the Republic, and it turned into a, you know, for all intents and purposes, a, a dictatorship, and um, that's that's the Roman Empire. The uh, time period at which uh, he took over to the end of it was about 250 years. It's considered uh, well, it's it's uh, referred to as um, uh, Pax Romana that time period. And so depending on where you fall politically, you might think that the glory days of Rome were either before or after that point, but it was kind of a reset, uh, that, that, um, 50 BC or around that mark when, when Julius Caesar took over and, um, during Rome's time and especially the, the latter years when sort of giant unilateral changes were able to be made on a whim, because one of, the, one of the features of a republic is that things move uh, v- very slowly through government, or at least they should. They're not meant to be nimble and quick. They're not meant to be turned on a dime. Uh, they're meant to uh, be slow and uh, make changes slowly so that uh, rash things can't be done. Well, when, uh, when it, for all intents and purposes, became a dictatorship, a lot of things were able to be changed very, very quickly. Some of the positives of that time, though, was I mentioned just how giant Rome was. Uh, They had what we consider to be modern innovations, things like fire departments, um, modern roads, and uh, plumbing. You've you've seen the aqueducts, I'm sure. Some of them are still functioning today because they were engineered so beautifully. And um, they had a navy. Uh, That was a big deal. Uh, Most... um, I'd say most formal navies uh, wouldn't be around for for much longer after that. Rome was basically the the pinnacle of industrial society, and uh, and then it collapsed, and it wouldn't happen again. This kind of industrial and and very much superpower society wouldn't really happen again until uh, say the sixteen or seventeen hundreds, and so there's a huge amount of time in between, and so we can look at that and go, you know, there was this. This reset that happened and it basically, you know, knocked people back to the Stone Age for, um, you know, over a thousand years. That's a that's a pretty big deal. You got to wonder what happened in the interim and why it took so long for people to get back to uh, what we deem to be civilized society today. Well, as I mentioned, a lot of things uh, changed very quickly uh, in Rome. (coughs) Excuse me. One of the things, and and I'm just going to kind of blast through a bunch of these because I've got to get through them quickly. But some of the things that happened uh, were uh, they started uh, letting a a lot of uh, barbarians into Rome because they wanted uh, cheap labor. And so this was different than, say, selective immigration or... um, like colonialization, where they were just bringing people in for the purpose of cheap and slave labor. So, you know, could be some similarities there. And when they, excuse me, when they brought people in who were meant to be a, uh, you know, sort of permanent underclass or a slave uh, class of people, you don't get like a a homogenous ethos there's no social contract because the people who they were bringing in weren't part of, of that society. There was a lot of feminism happening at the time, and that may be a different topic for, uh, you know, a different day. There was a, a, a rise in homosexuality and, and promiscuity and uh, a lot of the kind of, uh, I guess, moral conflicts that we, uh, that we have today. Uh, one of the very important aspects of what was going on was that Rome became very, very rich. And because of that, a lot of people think that it led to the collapse of religion. Religion tends to hold societies together on moral lines. And so it has a type of social cohesion that goes along with it. And so when the uh, religion sort of collapsed in, in Rome, you have what's referred to as like the the uh, individualist or the individualism era. They had instituted a a UBI, or a universal basic income, for all intents and purposes. And um, this was done because they had so much of this slave and cheap labor, they were able to uh, have a surplus of of food, of grain, and so they would just distribute that out. Amongst the uh, amongst the people, you've probably heard the term bread and circus where they were just, you know, keeping people fed and uh, giving them gladiator games to uh, to keep them happy, because after all, if they were pacified, you know, they wouldn't be looking to the top to figure out why their society is collapsing. You know, there's a guy called uh, Yuval Noah Harari, and he is like the brain trust for the World Economic Forum. And he has come right out and said that their plan is to give the useless people a combination of drugs and computer games to keep them happy because there won't be any need for them. AI and mechanization are going to do everything that we need done. So there's going to just be a bunch of useless people around. So that's how they think about us. (laughs) It's terrible. But anyway, all of this luxury, all of this uh, wealth expansion that happened in Rome, it led ultimately to a reduced need for intelligence. And uh, they ended up with what I think we have here right now, which is a bunch of unimpressive elites. A lot of idiots in charge. Think of your sort of, Decadent dictators, uh, you know the type. <laughs> you know these these ones that have, are, are uh, filled head to toe with uh, military garb and decoration because they gave themselves all those ridiculous medals. <laughs> uh, watch the movie The Dictator if you want to see an example of that. Anyway, the commoners were getting their their free grain and their shows, and uh, and that's all they had. While the the uh, the elites were living these lavish and extravagant lifestyles um, all the while everyone else was uh, getting much uh, poorer and having less and uh, watching essentially their their country um, crash down around them. And so there was growing distrust and the uh, um, the citizens were basically kept prisoners by this moronic and extravagant upper class. But when this starts to happen, this growing distrust starts to happen, the people in power get nervous, and they want to keep their power. And so one of the main reasons that Rome fell was all of those factors I just mentioned led to this distrust. And the elite upper class knew about this. And so the last-ditch effort, the Hail Mary Passes, were were wars. Essentially, they used war to uh, distract the underclass and to keep them focused on something else. A nice little added benefit of war is generally you're sending the uh, the poor and the underclass to die in your wars anyway, so that gets rid of a a bunch of them for you. And so what they did was they um, had this real push for nationalism, this... Um, expansionism mentality, and they had their military out fighting foreign wars on many different fronts so that they could try and expand their empire and, um, and keep the wars going. Keeping the wars going keeps people busy. Whip them into a frenzy with propaganda and nationalism. You have this in-group, out-group mentality. You send huge swaths of people to die. And, um, you have less peasants to oppose you and you get a lot of people who then are required to, or not required to, but, you know, a good job option would be in the military. They, you know, pay, pay them well enough uh, to, um, you know, fight, fight for them in these foreign wars. So really the collapse of the Roman empire uh, just meant they had their hand in too many, uh, too many foreign pots they were trying to fight too many wars and uh you know essentially ended up losing them and uh and collapsing in on itself because you can't I mean you can't stave it off forever so what's going on right now let's back up a little but let's uh let's examine the the American Republic or <laughs> the American Empire <laughs> I might want to call it so the 1980s and 90s were like peak decadence in the U.S. and uh, and a lot of the West. It's still decadent now, but I think we've moved more into the uh, the uh, the debauchery phase of, <laughs> of of societal evolution. And um, you know, the, there was a lot of boomers who, sorry, boomers. <laughs> anyway, there were a lot of boomers who got really rich and fat <laughs> and morally corrupt um n- not not fat like uh not fat physically although there are a lot that did that i mean fat like um you know living high on the hog and a lot of this was done with um uh, money and currency tricks and 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 banking maneuvering and this expansion of the money and uh it's um uh, it was real wealth because they got to use it and they uh became the wealthiest generation ever but, uh, but really, it's a shell game. It's it's a house of cards. And go listen to my banking episode if you don't know what I'm talking about with that. But we find ourselves in this situation where everything is built upon this house of cards money system. A lot of people who are rich and fat and happy who, um, you know, basically just rode the wave of, of fake money all the way up and... The people who are in charge, they know that this wave is going to crest. They, they know it's going to come down. And um, they're like cornered rats who need a way out because in the example I just gave with Rome, they're going to do anything they can to hold on to their power. The, the unimpressive and decadent and debauched leaders, well, they want to hold on to their stations in life as much as the rest of us do. So enter the neocons. The neocons, the neoconservatives, you know, they're like conservatives, but new. Ooh. <laughs> uh, neocons, essentially their entire reason for existing is to create war. And so you have your quintessential neocons like like uh, George Herbert Walker Bush and his uh, retarded son, George W. Bush, and um, these are these are the neocons that you think of. These were the front-facing ones that everyone knew about. But you know what? They didn't start it. They didn't start this concept of, of using war to their advantage because they came from a long line of it. George W. Bush, Grant, his grandfather was a guy named Prescott Bush, and I believe I've mentioned him here on the podcast before. But um, we think of the Butches, Bushes as these... Uh, these uh, Texas oil men or whatever, but they are Connecticut Yankees. That's where Prescott Bush is from, from right around me here somewhere. And he was a Wall Street executive and um, he worked for a firm called Brown Brothers Harriman. And uh, Brown Brothers Harriman, what were they doing? Well, they were funding both sides of World War II. And a considerable amount of the Bush fortune was actually gained by funding... Nazis so uh so George W. Bush speaking at Auschwitz it is laughable <laughs> it really is it's like uh, he's only one generation removed from from Nazi funding so anyway <laughs> that wasn't uh, that was that was more recent but back to the 80s and 90s the uh the neocons is, is what I'm trying to talk about here uh they're the warmongers and um and uh, they, were, they were rich from exploiting wars. And uh, in, in the 80s and 90s, they started crafting uh, a new plan. And wouldn't you know, surprise, surprise, that was creating more war. Now, there was a, uh, a group called Project for a New American Century. And in their documents, they lay out exactly what they want to do. And exactly what they want to do is start a bunch of foreign wars on multiple fronts. And uh, they name specific countries. They like they post a hit list, and it includes Iraq and Syria, uh, Libya, Lebanon, Iran, North Korea, China, and um, they do specifically say that they want multi-front wars. That is, uh, you know, that's pretty telling because what what is a multi-front war? Well, we've had two of them so far of of note, and those are World War One and World War Two, huge and deadly impacts, and um, it's crazy that they just came right out and said it, (laughs) that they wanted these giant wars. In, uh, In one of the documents, and I quote here, well, they said it would be too slow unless we have a, quote, catastrophic, catalyzing event like a new Pearl Harbor. So they said, yeah, we can start a couple of wars here and there, but what we really need What we really need is that event, like Pearl Harbor, something that, bam, just hits everyone so that they'll go along with our wars without questioning, you know, scare them to death so that they won't really care what we're doing to people in other countries. And they got it. (laughs) They got it in in 9-11. They got it on 9-11 of 2001, I should say. And so whatever you think happened on 9-11... And, you know, there's the whole range of what could have happened there, Um, whether, at the very least, I think that our government knew something was going to happen, and at the most, they planned it. And I will do an episode on 9-11 here eventually, but one thing is for sure, they got what they wanted, and they used that as the pretext to invade you know, nearly every country on that list that they put out. And I think they're still working on the rest of them. So they got what they wanted. They got war. They got a lot of money. Uh, they got death. They got increased control because, you know, the Patriot Act. And they even called it the Patriot Act. Because, you know, it's for patriots. Because we're looking for terrorists. Well, now you're the terrorist. <laughs> so... Watch out. <laughs> and uh, this, this new event, now now let's, uh, let's come into the present. This new event with Israel and Palestine that happened on October 7th. What did we start to hear immediately? We started to hear right away that this is the new 9-11. You might call it a catastrophic and catalyzing event like a new Pearl Harbor or like a new 9-11. And so it's still unclear, just as with 9-11, the exact details of what happened. I have seen some reports that the response uh, to the attack uh, was, was slowed or was deliberately held back. I haven't found all the evidence I need to talk to that yet. But what I will say is that this event is really being used to its fullest. I forgot exactly who said it. It's one of those, uh, oh, what's that guy's name? Rahm Emanuel, that's his name. <laughs> it's an Obama guy from uh, Chicago. He said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And that's what's going on here. So in the last episode, I asked the question, is war the goal. And I think I will say that yes, right now, war is the goal. As we are about a month into this thing, and the death toll is rising sharply on the Gaza slash Palestinian side, where that death death toll is approaching 10x, the attack on October 7th. And so why is that not enough? Why is the uh, the the relentless attacks happening day in and day out? If you're trying to send a message is not 10x the amount of people killed, is that not enough? I don't think it's enough because uh, because, well, it's enough for me, but it's not enough for them because yes, the goal is 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 to start a war. with 9 eleven, that was clearly the goal. And so whether these these events like 9 eleven, this uh, October 7th, and even Pearl Harbor happened organically, well, they are certainly exploited. These, these crises aren't being let go to waste. And so just like the Roman Empire, we find ourselves in this situation where we are increasing the frequency and the fronts of wars. Because that was the goal now, then, and I think it's the goal now, In the last episode, we talked a bit about the Zionists and Zionism. And um, I talked a little bit about where that ideology came from. But let me just blend them a little bit with what we just talked about. We can move from neocon into Zionism almost seamlessly these days. Although Zionism, I believe... Started out more as a, I'll call it a more of a lefty populist agenda. Now I think that modern Zionist and certainly the group in charge right now in Israel is more of a neocon Zionist. Now, Paul Wolfowitz was a uh, was a Zionist. Is a Zionist. His father a rabid Zionist. And in the early 1990s, Paul Wolfowitz essentially came up with the doctrine that we know today as the neocon ideology, I'll call it. And this idea was that we should use our military and our military force preemptively, to enforce like UN treaties and stuff with our military. So instead of holding our troops home and saying, we're just going to be us, you know, this concept of like team America, world police, this um, concept of going around the war, the world and, you know, exporting our democracy or whatever it is we say that we do that basically came from this guy, Paul Wolfowitz, who, like I said, him and his father are straight up, Uh, Self-avowed and rabid Zionists. Now, um, I mentioned Project for a New American Century. Project for a New American Century, that think tank was uh, founded by Robert Kagan and Bill Kristol. Both of these guys, self-avowed. These guys are both Zionists. And then we have Benjamin Netanyahu. He is the uh, leader in charge right now in Israel. He's an obvious Zionist. Obviously, we, we know that already. And um, for all intents and purposes, also a, uh, a neocon. He himself will tell you that he was inspired by the American right. And he actually lived in the United States during most of the uh, uh, time of prominence for the neocons. I, I believe he lived in um, uh, Philadelphia and uh, went to MIT, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have that detail here. But anyway, he was uh he was inspired by the neocons and 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 he has said as much. Now, his foreign policy, Benjamin Net- Netanyahu's foreign policy for all intents and purposes is inspired by and was laid out in a document called A Clean Break: A New Strategy for Securing the Realm. That's the name of the document and this is from uh, I believe the the it was from the early to mid-90s. So Netanyahu has been in power before. If you don't know, uh, Israel has a kind of parliamentary system where they are, rather than getting a majority of votes, generally the party in charge is uh, making alliances with other parties, and that's how they gain a... Um, A majority. So anyway, um, Benjamin Netanyahu has been in power before in the 90s, and he is again now. So anyway, that document, A Clean Break, colon, A New Strategy for Securing the Realm, was actually written by Richard Pearl. Do you know who Richard Pearl is? Well, Richard Pearl was a part of the Project for a New American Century, And he was a key advisor to Donald Rumsfeld. And he is the guy who gave us the detail, weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, (laughs) that's the guy. So uh, WMDs, the reason we got involved in Iraq in the first place, came from Richard Pearl, who is the guy that wrote the document that inspired the The foreign policy for Benjamin Netanyahu. So there you go. There you go. These are all the same people. These are all the same people. The Zionists, the neocons, the warmongers, the war pigs, murderers. Let's just call them what they are. And so I ask again, (laughs) is war the goal? And I think I can definitively answer that yes, war is the goal. Because you might be thinking, you might be saying, yeah, but the neocons aren't in charge anymore. The Democrats are in office. It's not the neocons. Well, it doesn't really matter because we have, we have transcended <laughs> the, uh, the, the defined group of neocons here in America. And uh, we, have, um, we have no anti-war party anymore, not in the two-party system. And um, they're all the same. And um, as we move further into the collapse phase, war is the only means to distract us. So is war the goal? Yeah, war is the goal. Because the system is coming down. And the architects of that system know it. So wars, wars do exactly what they want. I think the first run of it was, uh, or not the first run, but, but the most recent attempt was COVID. Obviously, we saw that COVID was uh, one of the ways they were going to, uh, to. Uh, well, they told us, to reset. What did they start telling us? Like right away, right away when COVID was peaking, they were coming out with the great reset. The great reset. We're going to build back better. The great reset. I mean, Klaus Schwab named his book <laughs> The Great Reset, Right. And so, do you think that they just came up with that organically? Do you think that uh, that light bulb, like in a cartoon, just bing, popped on on top of their head as as COVID, this uh, virus was floating through the air, making people sick? Do you think they went, oh, you know what? We're going to need to reset. No, 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 no. That's not the way it worked. Because they know. They know the system's coming down. And you know it too, because there is this this air, this feeling that things are not trending in the right direction. And we know it because the debt is so high. It's never going to be paid off. It was never designed to be paid off. It was designed to be reset. And wars definitely have a way of doing that. Kill off a large portion of the population and uh, you get everyone focused on something else. You know this poverty that's happening. It's not because the uh, the money printers printed up way too much money and inflated all your wealth away. No, that's not what caused it. What caused it is this war. Why? It was Putin, <laughs> or uh, or in this case, uh, Palestine, <laughs> or 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 Iraq, or, or Iran, Iran. That that's the goal after all. It is Iran. And the goal is World War III. I mean, they're going live with it. You know, whether they get it or not, I guess will depend on what kind of response the uh, the warmongers, the Zionists, the neocons get. I mean, you can read about it. <laughs> you can read about it right now. They're, they're already uh, talking about it in their own publications. The Economist just ran an article called What a Third World War Could Mean for Investors. <laughs> That's it, that's that's quote I'm reading it exactly That's what The Economist's headline was What a third world war could mean for investors Oh, what a happy read, right? The world is going to get into a third war And here's what you can do with your investment portfolio (laughs) We should listen to them We definitely should Because uh, The Economist is owned by the Rothschilds The banking family The one that knows their system is going to be reset (laughs) So let's listen to them The Rothschilds, might I remind you We talked about in the last episode Also funded the Zionist movement So when they're telling us There's going to be a third world war We should listen to them They started the first two <laughs> After all, we got into We got into World War One Like a couple of months After um, After we got the Federal Reserve <laughs> That's a coincidence, I guess. (laughs) Oh, it's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. But we have to know how to navigate around all of this stuff. And so, um, uh, like Charlie on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, um, I will be here with my red threads connecting the dots so that as you are bombarded with the propaganda, you can parse it out and you can know that this isn't something new. (laughs) These are... uh, These are the neocons. These are the uh, uh, Zionist neocons that are all part of the same group. All very well intertwined. Their goal this time is war. Their goal has always been war. And so let's do what we can to not give it to them. Because this isn't a war of good versus evil. This isn't a holy war. They certainly aren't doing this to protect you. Because after all, they send us to die, right? They send our kids. Their kids aren't going to war. Hell no. Their kids have uh, bone spurs (laughs) or whatever it was that that Trump had. Remember, Trump's dad got him out of Vietnam by uh, having a doctor say that he had bone spurs or whatever. Fortunately, I know, I know, we're all very concerned about Donald Trump, but it does seem that he was able to live a fairly normal life Afterwards, even suffering those tragic conditions as a child of having bone spurs. So, so anyway, uh, my point there is uh, they don't send us. They don't send us. Let's not go fight their wars, and uh, let's not support their wars either. So uh, you know, I, I mean, I'll support it if it's just them. Like if uh, if if Netanyahu and uh, who's the who's the Hamas guy, Hanya. And uh and, and Tony Blinken and uh, and the Ayatollah Khomeini. I mean, if they all want to get into a ring and uh, beat each other to death, I'm fine with that. I mean, we should put it on um, pay per view. I'll buy that fight. I'll, I'll spend. Uh, let me see. Let me put it on the record. What is the upper limit? If it's live, I'll spend a thousand dollars. Yeah, I'll spend a thousand dollars to get uh, to get that fight live piped into my house. So. So anyway, there you go. I'm on the record with that one. So if we can make it happen, if we could start that cage match, but only with the people who are perpetuating the wars, um, then I'll watch it. I'll definitely watch it. And I'll pay for it. <laughs> but um, but I don't think we're going to get that. I think we're going to get uh, more of what we've experienced so much of already. Which is uh, more more death and, and more destruction. And, and I'm sick of their wars. If you can't tell, um, I'm sick of it because uh, we don't deserve it. These aren't our wars and uh, we don't need to fight wars for their economic benefit. So uh, so don't support this war, please for the love of God, don't support this war. Uh, don't support it because it's not a humanitarian um, um, net benefit. I should say it's a it's a humanitarian nightmare. Um, don't support it because it's a uh, it's a desperate plan by the unimpressive and decadent elites who have been doing this for thousands of years because uh, because they don't care about you. This war isn't for you. They're throwing people into the slaughter to save their own hides from the wrath of the public, which will most certainly come when this system starts to unravel. See, there you go. Wasn't that fun? <laughs> Real cheery episode for you again today, and uh, we got to do it. You know, this is what's on my mind. We got to cover it. War is just, it's the pinnacle of information. Uh, Like, if you're you're going to take in information of this variety, at least make it an anti-war, because that's the best thing we can do. The best thing we can do is be anti-war and be pro-humanity. Let's be pro-humanity. Let's all link arms and, uh, and say no to these dastardly plans. Anyway, uh, send me an email. Look for uh, the show notes with uh, the email address and um, like and uh, review and uh, rate the podcast. Send me screenshots of it. Send me your shirt size and I will send you edition one. Everything allegedly merch, and uh, somebody, I got a song today. Got a song for you. And uh, today, you know, when I, when I was thinking about how the um, this creating wars thing is like a, it's a tale as old as time. And I was thinking about how horrible it is that they play this wicked game with our emotions, and they get us to fall in love with their wars. Well, there's obviously only one song that comes to mind. There, right? <laughs> It's Wicked Games by Chris Isaac, a song that I really like. (laughs) And I usually try to find a uh, cover song because I try and find something that's kind of unique or something a little bit different or something they don't want to flag me for copyright infringement. (laughs) But, um, and although Tenacious D has a pretty good cover, I'm going to say that it doesn't come anywhere close to The original, the Chris Isaac version. In fact, if I was the supreme dictator of the land, I would declare it illegal to make a cover of this song. That's how good the original is. So anyway, here you go. The only acceptable version of Wicked Games, the Chris Isaac one. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.
1: i